welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is the story with RTE right now? This is a real does what it says on the tin episode, because RTE has been in the news a lot lately, and as Brian Dobson himself said on Morning Ireland, the day news of redundancies and pay cuts leaked, they aren't usually the story, and it's actually their job to not be the story. The Irish Times got a leak about the restructuring plans due to be announced to staff, so the state broadcaster had to put out a statement late at night and scramble meetings with workers over the next few days. Details about the pay packages of top presenters and land sales have filled column inches and current affair programmes ever since. All the news has also sparked massive debate about what RTE should be to Ireland and the people who live here. There are lots of layers obviously to this story and we'll be getting to all of them. But before I introduce today's guests, I have two quick bits of housekeeping. One, please forgive my voice from the um, exceptional cold it has this week. The show must go on, chest infection and all. And two, I want to ask for your help. If you enjoy these podcasts and find them useful or entertaining or enjoyable on your commute, we would love you to leave us a review and rating wherever you listen. Or if there's an episode that you know somebody else would enjoy, please share it with them. Right, now back to RT. I'm joined in studio by a Steve and a Stevie, which is not going to get confusing at all for any of us. Stevie McDermott has been with us before. He's the Journal.E's reporter who has been covering the RT story over the past number of weeks. And Steve Dempsey, the Sunday Independence media and marketing columnist. Steve, I'm going to turn to you first. Um, can you just tell us what exactly RT's job is to be? What's its remit for the people of Ireland? Well, I think the people who you need to ask that question to is actually the government, because they're the ones who set out the rules of what RTE is. Uh, and I think the last piece of legislation that, that described that or tried to describe that was the 2009 Broadcasting Act. And I think, for, for my mind, the problem that RTE is in at the moment, it's kind of an existential crisis, but it can't. Re- it's up to the government to define what it is. It can't really cope with its own existential crisis. It's totally dependent on the government to do that. So the Broadcasting Act... It's kind of vague. It says lots of things that RT has to do. It has to have choirs and performing groups. It has to have a website. It has to have Airtel. Um, but an awful lot of stuff is very vague as well. And I think in those vague areas is where some of the problems actually arise for RT, that it's unclear what it should and shouldn't be. It's unclear. And again, really, when we're talking about public service broadcasting, the real crux of the matter is that Orti has some commercial elements that it needs to, to, to keep to pay the bills, but often those are the ones that you know aren't necessarily real public service broadcasting. Public service broadcasting is turning up at the places where you can't make money, where it's important that the uh, the, the society can see things that are going on that, you know, they're not going to be able to make money. It's not going to be, you know, the Sinn Féin Ordesh brought to you by MasterCard. That's never going to fly. But it's still, it's it may be important for RT to show up at kind of important events like Yeah, that. so is there any obvious examples of things that have to be done because of public service broadcasting and the things then that they have to do to make money? What would just be easy examples for people to kind of get on board with the differences? I'm actually not sure if it's laid out what public service broadcasting is in the legislation. It, it just goes into a lot of detail as to uh, it says things like needs to do something like, you know, spread the news in a way that a public service broadcaster is. Um, I'll, I'll admit I haven't gone and read the Broadcasting Act any time recently. And I'm sure at the start when they define definitions as they do in the bills, uh, they'll always say, you know, here's what that means. But again, it's fairly vague. And I think the interesting thing for me is if you take a step back about what, how other public service broadcasters behave, um, obviously we're, we're a bit spoiled. We're exposed to people like the BBC. The BBC has a royal charter and that gets kind of renewed every 10 years and they have a chance to have a discussion about what public service broadcasting should be. And I think 
because we all know in this room, and I'm sure your listeners know as well, that you know what, what the media is and what broadcasting is has changed an awful lot in the last few years. We should be having these difficult conversations. And it seems like the political classes are kind of unwilling to engage in RT unless they give them a kicking. And I'm, I'm surprised that they do because, you know, they, they should be going there and trying to sound good. And the RT, for its own sake, hasn't been able to, hasn't really been able to, to kind of represent itself very well. It's, it's hung its hat to date on uh, looking for a license fee hike. Yeah, that's probably a good point to bring in the money, Stevie, because that's what we have been hearing about over the last few weeks, that Orchie's current financial situation is not good, to put it mildly. Can you kind of run through those figures or what we know about the current financial situation? Yeah, I mean, this is not actually something that's entirely new. It's a problem that's been ongoing for the last couple of years. Um, financial statements Orchie has released over the past couple of years have shown uh, stations has a lot of net deficit and it's not small money either. It's actually running into the millions. It was 2 million in 2015, rose to 20 million in 2016, 6.5 million in 2017 and 13 million again in 2018. So as I say, like it's, it's, it's kind of an ongoing problem. Commercial revenues have also fallen by 100 million euro in 10 years. And it's really not making up the money. Uh, license fees, actually, it's people's kind of have pointed to uh, license fee evasion. It's climbing a small bit, but it's only been about 12 million in three years. So that's, as I said, like it's about 10% over the last 10 years of what they've lost in, in kind of commercial revenue has only been gained in license fee. And commercial revenue and license fee are pretty much their only sources of income. So like I say, this massive falling income on one side and it's only very, very slowly climbing on the other side. Do we know what happened in that gap between 2015 and 2016 when the deficit really uh, widened? We actually don't really like it's 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 just an ongoing situation. You know, we have the competition from streaming services. You have people like one thing that was pointed to in the most recent RT report was the increase in the number of people who don't actually own a TV. Um, anyone who's been kind of following the conversation, this has seen that you know there's talk of bringing in a, a, a more general TV license for uh, device use. So people who are say watching the RT player on their phones or on a laptop or something. It's, it's generally just people are switching off and not watching anymore at all. I think there's a very interesting point that you could make an argument that you could make that actually RT is doing a good job. Uh, there's no counterfactuals to the, to the, you know, the plummeting advertising revenues, which is being seen across the board in all media. And, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to fight in that. The interesting thing, though, is in the last year, revenues are, in RT are actually up. They rose to 339 million and operating costs are actually down 1.9 million to 332 million or 333 million. So the you could say that the executive team in RT are actually doing a pretty good job. Now, some of that comes down to a little bit of uh, accounting and um, that they do say that there are special events like the arrival of the Pope and last year's World Cup are the things that pushed them over the edge last year. And, you know, they, they should be covering those things anyway as part of their ongoing costs. But, you know, they are cutting costs. They are fighting against the tide in terms of uh, falling advertising revenue. And they have, in fairness to them, been saying over and over and over, we need more funding. We need and we believe that should come from the license fee. They said that even more strongly recently when all of this news broke. What exactly did we find out about the pay cuts, about reductions uh, in in salary, about redundancies. Yeah, so news just kind of broke. It was on the Wednesday night in the Irish Times. Uh, this is the week that there was the death of Gay Byrne. It was supposedly supposed to be announced that week and then Gay Byrne passed away and it was put into touch while, you know, people kind of came to terms with that. And then news broke then on the Wednesday night, this was before Gay Byrne's funeral, uh, that essentially RT needed to save 60 million euro over three years and um, severe financial difficulty that there'd be cuts for presenters that there'd be uh, job cuts in general so just to give a rundown of 
what that actually involved. So 200 planned redundancies would be voluntary, you know, not forced, hopefully. Uh, yet we'll see about that, if, you know, depending on how many you're taking by the end of 2020. Uh, re- reduce fees by about 15% to top paid presenters. So that'd be, you know, your your Ryan Tuberties, your, your Marion Finucans, your Ray Darcy's. Uh, the RT Executive Board, they're going to take a 10% cut and the RT Authority will waive their fees. Uh, there's also going to be a cut in, you know, older services like, uh, I was actually shocked that this was still on, you know, a thing, Airtel, which is, you know, uh, uh, for those of you who don't remember, it's kind of like a, a sort of strange sort of internet-y type thing, you know, internet before the internet almost, or internet news before internet news. You... Stevie's younger than me and Steve, <laughs> who really remember Airtel. And yeah. Cfax. Yeah, you know, page 220 <laughs> is very useful. Yeah, you know. Uh, what was 220? Uh, it was what's on TV. All right. Yeah. 501 was sport. Yeah. And there was a cinema listing as well. So it was like a rolling page where you could see what was on in each cinema, which went on for pages. Interestingly, pages. I'm pretty sure Airtel is actually specified in the broadcasting. I was just going to ask you because you mentioned last year when yeah. it was one of the things that's on the cut list. So will that mean a change in legislation is required? I don't know. They're going to have to go back to the minister and say, please, sir, can we cut Airtel? <laughs> Sorry, Stevie, continue. Yeah. So uh, the, the other ones that are uh, being cut are the. Uh, uh, DAB radio station so like RT Gold 2XM RT Pulse they're all going to go interestingly the one that's actually going to stay is Lyric FM there's kind of much speculation of, about the future of Lyric FM in the summer that's going but it, Lyric FM is actually based in Limerick so they're going to kind of divvy that up between Cork and Dublin now and so the Cork studio has been saved. There was a few rumours well placed rumours I think about Cork maybe getting the chop but that didn't happen Again, it, running a broadcasting institution like RT is really expensive. They have a lot of assets. They need to sweat all those assets. They've got a studio. If the studio is sitting empty for five minutes, they're losing money on it. So they really need to be making sure they're uh, you know, optimising the things they're, they're paying for. What should staff be kind of looking to expect over the next few years? Like this isn't just, you know, a year of, of belt tightening. This is a good few years of belt tightening. So what, what will staff conditions be or like will they be able to make programs will it be a creative place i think one of the interesting things about the reports that have come out is that the the staff there seems to be an awful lot of upset uh, amongst the staff and and under very very understandably and i think there's a real job of work for the management to make sure that they don't lose the trust that they can actually pitch something other than than job cuts you know everyone wants to work somewhere where there's a vision maybe that's just kind of a modish kind of way to look at things but most companies that perform really well have strong principles and a strong vision and i think one of the issues I see from all the reportage that's out there so far is that there isn't really much of a sense of vision. That We've got a sense of like, okay, there'll be job cuts and they'll be coming over three years. There will be belt tightening and they'll maybe have to move out of Montrose. But the, where's the vision? It seems to be kind of sorely lacking out there. Um, and I think, you know, there's no talk about how we should provide um, information to the nation and the diaspora overall, how we should kind of monetize the back catalogue because we're seeing people like Disney Plus coming out and that's only launched in the last week and that seems to be in the entire business model there. It's we have a great back catalogue of stuff, let's make loads of money on it online. Um, there isn't any talk of joining services like BritBox, which is a kind of a BBC UTV Channel 4 attempt to package up and make a kind of a mini English Netflix to sell into the US market. And, and I'm sure people in RT have looked into plans and things and examine this but when you have to go out with a PR story like this that's a like a, a, a damaging difficult story you need to be presenting some rays of light some north stars that you can point to and say do you know what people it's going to be tough but we know where we're going we're going over there and over there the future looks brighter and I think one of the big issues is so far uh, and it's maybe a nature of the, how the story broke but uh, so far they aren't ahead of the story. 
Yeah, that was one of the big aspects because it leaked. There seemed to have been a lot of consternation with staff that it got leaked. So a lot of staff didn't know about this until the Irish Times reported it. Yeah, I think a lot of the issues that were taken then the following day, I mean, you heard, um, you know, representatives on Sean O'Rourke on Morning Ireland, they were talking about, you know, where was this coming from? There was as much concern. There were obviously concerns, you know, about the news and the financial situations of as well, but there were also a lot of concerns. And I mean, particularly among SIP2 representatives for the workers as well, they wanted to know, where this coming was coming from. It's obviously a high-end leak. Um, I saw, you know, Philip Hayes in particular was someone who said, you know, don't check your emails at night from your boss on Twitter. You know, I mean, it's, this is not just, you know, that some higher-end staff were informed and maybe lower-end production staff weren't. It came as a huge shock to everyone. But hold on, it's deeply hypocritical of a media organisation to be giving out about leaks because that's really how media organisations yeah, thrive. Yeah, the side of it, yeah. It is our bread and butter. One of the, kind of, maybe a few years ago, might have been one of those future hopes or ray of light was DAB, DAB, I'm actually not even sure which way I meant to say it, DAB, because it's all written in capitals. I'm going to go with our style guide. These stations are all gone, Stevie. These are on the cut lists. What were they? Just give a quick explainer to people what they even were. Yeah, so DAB is digital audio broadcasting. So it runs off a digital signal. Uh, Anyone familiar with the kind of the higher channels in their Sky or Virgin Media subscription, like the 900 channels, will see these these kind of stations. So like RT Gold, RT 2XM, RT Pulse and the children's radio channel RT Junior. Basically, they it works. It's not like traditional, say, FM or AM. It works, like I said, off a digital signal. Uh, some new radio kids will have it, but what these stations kind of put out is it's very kind of niche broadcasting. So people remember, you know, uh, say Rick O'Shea, he used to be on 2FM. He's on RT Gold now. Larry Gogan is also on RT Gold. Uh, they kind of play sort of older songs. And uh, John Kelly, who used to present The Mystery Train on RTE, he's on 2XM now. It's very kind of, uh, uh, say, alternative music. Um, but the other thing about these stations as well is that, you know, you kind of get a lot of younger people, uh, say DJs and producers who are on the Irish music scene, uh, sort of, you know, uh, uh, it's an outlet for them to sort of produce shows or, or to, uh, to showcase their skills. Um, but like I say, very, very niche, which is probably why it's going. And just remember, Orchie's FM stations are also on DAB as well. So Orchie 1 and 2FM are there, but it's this suite of other stations like Orchie Gold and 2XM that are uh, DAB only, and they're going to be the ones that they're getting rid of. Do they have a listenership? There's no figures available. This is the thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it can be difficult. Perhaps maybe Steve can provide better insight in this than, than I know anyway, but it's kind of difficult to sort of quantify. Like it, there's no JNLR figures for digital radio. So, you know, unless RTE have a method and they say, right, this is what we're publishing, but they don't. So we don't actually know what they are in the public anyway. Could Like I presume they know they're not cutting off hundreds of thousands of listeners. I actually don't know the numbers for us, but I know the technological background for DAB and it was kind of very much seen as the future of radio, but that was in the past. It was like, an, uh, it was going to be replacing FM um, and an awful lot of countries had plans to switch off their FM bandwidth and go fully with DAB uh, and they've all been backing out of it. I think Norway is the only country that has actually gone ahead, turned off all its FM broadcasting and actually the only way you can access the radio in Norway now is on DAB, but almost everyone else has backed out of it. They've all kind of pulled this service. It's cost, it costs a little bit more to send it out, um, but effectively it's it's quite similar. Apparently the signal is slightly better, but you know... It's, Was it um, just not worth it? Is that why? I would imagine that, like Stevie said, they are very niche services. It's costing a lot of money. Um, it may be just something that it's like... Why did it catch on in Norway and not 
here. So everyone was going to do it at one point. Hong Kong was moving to DAB, Norway, Sweden, everyone was going to do it. Canada. The most interesting one I know of is Canada uh, had were had a roadmap to switch over to DAB. And as as DAB just lost its luster, they said, oh, OK, let's just do what America does. And they have some, I can't remember what the American kind of broadcast system is for radio, but it's not the one we use here. It's not DAB and Canada just fell in line. So it's kind of like it's Betamax when we've all gone to kind of DVDs. It, it was the future a while ago, but now... Who knows? Okay, so let's talk about the actual future. If the license fee was increased or if there was a broadcast charge, would that make all of RTE's woes go away? Um, I think RTE would like to think that it would and it may may do in the short term. But actually, I do think the bigger issue really is um, what is the future for public service broadcasting in Ireland? We need to have a conversation. We had the, like the Citizens Assembly was a fabulous um, coming together of people and ideas. And I think it would be great to see something like that for broadcasting. Uh, and again, I do think it's down to the government to decide what RTE uh, needs to do to be and what it needs to do. And there's loads of things the government can do. The government has far more free reign to kind of make RT right fit for purpose than RT itself does. For my mind, um, I mean, I read a report recently um, about um, what they do in Holland, which is they peg broadcasters' salaries to the um, the salary of their uh, prime minister, um, which instantly would bring Ryan Tuberty's salary down quite a considerable chunk. And I should say as well that I think any uh, coverage of RT's woes that focuses in on personalities and the amount they get paid really isn't fair. Um, the, the problems are elsewhere. They're, it's not about a few kind of high-paid people and whether they are worth it or not, uh, whether the L'Oreal rule applies. Um, so other things that the RT could do, or say that um, the government could do is, I mean, for for all media entities, they could really address defamation legislation that would help across the board. Um, they could also, uh, one of the interesting things that happened in when the BBC charter was being renewed, there was a whole big discussion about where the BBC is stepping on the toes of other independent news producers. And in England, it, came, it was all about local radio, local radio in the north of England, and how there were so many regional versions of the BBC and why are they standing on the toes? Why are they trying to prevent these commercial entities from making money? So from my mind, and again, it's something, it, it is close to my heart, it's my day job, they, RT, should it have a website? Mm. In the same ways it's competing with the journal.ie or independent.ie or the Irish Times, it's very difficult for traditional news outlets, whether they exist in print or online, to uh, to, to exist and to thrive in today's um market. So Orti is really actually impa- impacting on that by having a free-for-all news website. Now, you could definitely argue that that is, that is a public service, but I think we the need to The argument needs to be had. Yeah, exactly. And, and thrash it out. And, and you mentioned Lyric FM earlier, Stevie. I think that's a perfect example of it is public service broadcasting. No one's going to no gonna make money off it. Uh, and do we value like music and the arts uh, as a society? And if so, then yeah, Orti should be pushing it out. There's some of the things that could be happening. We're not hearing that much about them. We are hearing more about the licence fee or the broadcast charge. Is the broadcast charge something that is feasible? We've seen what's happened with Irish Water and charges. Is another thing that feels like a tax, even though it will be ring-fenced for certain public services, is that something that's even feasible in the next five to ten years? I think the government has said no. There's no, Nothing is going to change in five years. And I think you're spot on in calling it out. It's a household charge. Uh, and it's been described pretty much as a household charge, but they're using every single trick in the book to say, nah, it's to do with phones and, and something else in TVs, maybe. I mean, Pat Rabbit, I think, was the first one to, to surface the idea. And the idea was it would help combat evasion of people saying, oh, look, I don't have a TV, as they avidly watched RTE output on YouTube or wherever else. Um, but it... 
it's just it's a very strange concept. And again, it goes back to the idea of like, what do we want public service to be and how do we fund it properly? It seems like it was almost a semantic trick through legislation to try and get a household charge in at the same time as they were doing a property tax and a water charge. So, again, it's difficult for the governments to come up with something that is going to be palatable at this time and enforceable as well. It's very I mean, I've had the knock on the door where a guy's kind of leaning over your shoulder trying to see if there's a TV behind you. Um, Like, who's going to call and say, have you got a phone there? Can you show like? I think the other side of this as well, though, is it, it's kind of an interesting part of the conversation. I mean, you're talking about the government, but RTE sort of need to make it a product that people actually want to buy as well. You know, I mean, you, you see constant horror stories when there's, you know, a, a GAA match on or something and people are trying to access the RTE player and they can't. Mm. You know, I mean, we're talking about streaming as, as, a, as a, you know, a, a rival that's cropped up in the past while and is impinging on Ortiz's market but I mean you know whatever about the way the government have introduced the charge I think there's something to be said about you know what product are you providing people here if you're you know providing a public service what is that service and what is its quality and the player could be a subscription um, service overseas to the diaspora there, there's loads of ways to actually slice and dice and try and figure out how to to, to, fit, to create things that are fit for the different things you're pushing out through the different channels that are available I think the player's got an awful lot of unfair flack in the last kind of week or two sure there's a lot of ads and sure it drops but it's um, like it was only about two years ago that that player was and maybe I'm getting, getting techie here so tell me to shut up it was built on flash which is a thing that was out of date and iPhones weren't supporting it so it was RT has changed the player considerably in the last few years it's not perfect but like this is an organisation that I mean I can't remember what the headcount is in RT I have it written down somewhere in front of me but if you compare it to Netflix Netflix has 7,100 employees and 6,900 of those people work in streaming technologies it's really difficult to create a really good piece of technology that's going to serve out everyone's needs and why we think a group of primarily journalists in out sitting in Montrose should be able to produce something of international quality is beyond me. Why they should even try also is beyond me. They should just be buying something off the shelf that I'm sure is available elsewhere. Um, but again, that's part of it. How much money should people like RT be thinking they should be spending on, on technology as opposed to programming? That's an amazing stat. 6,900 employees in Netflix on are on streaming technology. Mm-hmm. I love a good explainer fact. Um, what is there anything else from other countries? You've mentioned BBC a bit. Is there anything else from other countries that we could be stealing, that we could be looking at and learning from? Well, I don't know about stealing, but for me, the big issue here is that the macroeconomic trend about how, primarily, and I'm just going to focus on TV, but how TV consumption is changing. So mentioning Netflix, they have 154 million users. They have 16 billion in revenue worldwide. And their mission when they started transferring from a like a company, remember only 10 years ago, this was a company that sent you DVDs in the post. They have changed a lot and they have changed quickly. And you could argue they've changed their DNA um, quicker than than anyone. Uh, but their plan was to become HBO before HBO could be, become them. And HBO being the, the home box office kind of player in, in the US market. So Netflix has done an amazing job of changing itself, but it's doubled down on technology and it costs an awful lot of money. Um, so th- what we're seeing with Netflix and, and other people like that that is what's now being called the streaming wars. Disney Plus launched this week in America. Um, it has 10 million subscribers after two days. It's two and a half days now as we're recording this. It's probably up to 15 million. There are already plans to launch in India and various parts of um, Asia. And the plan there, it, again, all these things are slightly different from the company that's making them. It's not just a service for consumers. Disney's plan is to monetize a back catalog. HBO's plan was, or sorry, Netflix's plan was to become more like HBO before HBO could get it. I'm sure they have a far more new 
nuanced plan. There's Amazon Prime now, which is a lock-in with Amazon's ecosystem, which they have described kind of like an operating system for the home. They want you to be able to say, Alexa, turn on my tumble dryer, order me this. And, you know, drones will come and deliver you everything and your TV programming will be there as well. And interestingly, I think it was just announced today that uh, Amazon Prime is going to be available with Air in Ireland as well. So, you know, these people, the, the lock-ins are slightly different. The kind of the, the, the business proposition is different. It's not just broadcasting. Uh, and the most interesting of all that's just been launched is Apple Plus. And they've kind of got a, a, a real lock-in of hard hardware and a subscription service that counts news because iTunes is now Apple Music and they bought Beats and they have they've just launched their Apple TV thing and there's an Apple News proposition as well. So they're really trying to bring together the very nice technology they have and the very nice hardware they have and that people love and spend an awful lot of money to feel like they're part of a very uh, cool clique and now they want to lock in this kind of programming thing as well this subscription service and if they get that right that's a really powerful thing and then you have all these other people out there from youtube to instagram to tiktok who are just making just spewing out content user-generated content and a lot of it's very good as well so i think the entire macroeconomic system of content creation and consumption is fundamentally changing and RT are sitting in Montrose going, hmm, I wonder should we get a bit more license fee? Can we go and ask the government that? And, and the government are going, oh God, will you leave us alone? We're not going to do that at this time. There's a, the world is changing out there and we're kind of asking the wrong questions. You've mentioned the back catalogue a couple of times in terms of Disney+. Plus. Will there be a time in the future where we're buying reeling in the years or we're buying I don't know some segments of like or late late shows from 1965 to 1970 I think that's a, a that's a very good way to look at it and for my mind there's a classic quote that there's only two real businesses there's bundling and there's unbundling and RT really needs to figure out whether it's in in the process of bundling things together to offer one kind of very simple to consume set of services to people or pulling them all apart so we as consumers can all pick and mix the stuff that we really want and for me there's a huge um challenge to RT to try and think about its um, channels and its distribution differently. It's not radio and TV, it's got audio. And that audio can be consumed on your phone or via Alexa or via loaded devices or DAB or FM if they still exist. And then there's TV content and that comes through all sorts of channels. And you can get your, this RT could distribute content through Netflix. It could distribute content on YouTube. It could, the, the options are myriad. So I think the, 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 one of the starting points is to figure out where are all the touch points that we want to meet the consumer and we think we can have a meaningful relationship with them? Stevie, Steve, I looked at the wrong ones there as I said that, <laughs> but it's my only confusion of the day. And just, we got that exact figure. So the amount of employees in RT at the moment is 1,978. Um, that's my producer there. Thanks very much, Aoife. Um, and we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Stevie and Steve. Just a reminder before we go about another podcast from the journal.ie. Stardust, a six-part special, looks back on St. Valentine's Night in Dublin 1981 when 48 young people lost their lives in a nightclub fire. Hearing from the bereaved, the first responders and those who have been fighting for justice for four decades, reporter Sean Murray and the team have asked, how did Ireland handle such a tragedy? And was much of what happened in the 40 years being dictated by class? All six episodes are now available wherever you listen to your podcasts. It is a heartbreaking and heart-rendering listen, but so, so important. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry, and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time. <laughs>